All right, here we go. So uh, the outline section, um, uh, kind of clustering the chapters of Isaiah together. Um, those of you that have been following that saw that our first section was um, uh, Isaiah, the first chapter, and then the second chapter. The second section was uh, the first few verses of chapter two. Daddy actually covered all of chapter two, and today we're going to look at um, just a couple verses in chapter three, and we're going to mostly focus on uh, chapter four today, which is only about six verses long. Now, a lot of folks pull those um, pull those uh, sections uh, from the start of chapter two to the end of chapter four as one big section. And it breaks down like this. About the first five verses of chapter two is very positive. It's, um, it's uh, well, let's just look at that real quick. Um, verse two of chapter two, it will come in the last days. The mountain of the house of the Lord will be established, a chief among the mountains. And you have this positive language about how God will one day set things right. And then beginning with, oh, I guess verse 5 and 6, we have the pronouncement of uh, judgment. And that continued all through chapter 2, as we saw last week, um, continues through chapter 3, uh, and, and even the first verse of chapter 4. And then the last five verses of chapter 4 uh, kind of are a bookend to the first five verses of chapter 2, because he ends this section again with a God who cares about us, loves us, and is going to set things aright one day. All right? So we have God's going to fix everything and make it right. Here's all the stuff that's gone bad and, and the judgment that's going to be involved with that. And then the last part... God's going to fix it and make it all right again um, as a, an echo of uh, chapter 2. So um, let's uh, look at just a couple sections of chapter 3 so we can pick up some of the flavor, which I talked to a few of you last week. It's like, God, that was kind of a downer. You know, we're not used to, to hearing this tough, judgmental type of language, but it was... It was a tough time. It called for tough um, uh, words from Isaiah, uh, which had um, a message for the people of the day and, of course, also has a message for uh, us now. And a lot of this is a message about what has yet to happen. So let's look at verse 6 of chapter 3. It says, When a man lays hold of his brother in his father's house, saying, You have a cloak, you shall be our ruler, and these ruins will be under your charge. On that day will he protest, saying, I will not be your healer, for in my house there's neither bread nor cloak. You shouldn't appoint me to be a ruler of the people. So this is interesting. As it stands now, we have people who are Everything is a shambles. You know, what we think of as civilized society is where there's at least some order, right? There's some sort of structure. Uh, 
And all of that has fallen apart, so much so that even the symbols of leadership are nowhere to be found. And you have one person says, "Hey, you've got a you've got a cloak, you've got a nice jacket. You'll do. Please be our leader, just because he's got a cloak." I mean, that's to me that's a really desperate cry for some sort of leadership. And it, I think it says that that's kind of our, kind of our makeup. And we see, this, we see this today, right? Um, why is it that in some places gangs are so popular? Well, they provide a place of belonging, a certain amount of structure, a certain amount of um, hierarchy within that gang. Um, people crave this. Uh, we even see this in, uh, I've been hearing a lot about, we all hear a lot about ISIS nowadays, and, but apparently there's a fair amount of order within that organization. They move in, rehab a few schools, maybe rehab a few hospitals, set up a taxation system. They've captured spreadsheets where everything is very much in order. And in the chaos of war, some sort of predictability is sometimes preferable to just the chaos. And these are desperate times that it's talking about here. And, and it says, on that day, this is what it's going to be like. Let's look next, skip on down to verse 18. Well, maybe actually verse 16. It says, Moreover, the Lord said, Because the daughters of Zion are proud and walk with heads held high and seductive eyes and go along with their mincing steps and tingle the bangles on their feet, therefore the Lord will afflict the scalp of the daughters of Zion with scabs. And the Lord will make their foreheads bare. In that day, the Lord will take away the beauty of their anklets, headbands, crescent ornaments, dangling earrings, bracelets, veils, headdresses, ankle chains, sashes, perfume boxes, amulets, finger rings, nose rings, festal robes, outer tunics, cloaks, money purses, hand mirrors, undergarments, turbans, and veils. Now it will come about that instead of sweet perfume, there will be putrefaction. Instead of a belt, a rope. Instead of well-set hair, a plucked-out scalp. Instead of fine clothes, a donning of sackcloth and branding instead of beauty. So, this is interesting. If you thought that modern society had a market on the externals, on their superficiality, um, this text says otherwise, right? Um, Apparently, human nature is primed to focus on the externals. Uh, we're, we're geared that way. And I don't know if it's to fit in with the culture, to fit in with our peers, to make a statement, um, maybe just to add to our own self-confidence. Uh, those things aren't necessarily bad, but here you see that, that 
The real problem was in verse 16. They walk with their heads held high. This is a pride thing. And the evidence of that was, was all these external things that they had adorned themselves with. Um, this is a lot of this is a lot of external stuff going on, right? I mean, this is a day at the spa and the jewelry store and the clothing. Uh, this is a total makeover, um, but it all goes bad. Um, you look when it all goes bad, and now pride is replaced by shame. Beauty is replaced by ugliness. And the interesting thing is, is all at once when when there's all this badness stuff starts to happen in verse 24, now the outside starts to more accurately reflect what's on the inside. And it's not good. It's not good. Now, I picked out these two verses because in both verse 18 and in verse 7, we have this phrase, in that day. In that day, this day of judgment, this day when everything is bad, this is a direct lead-in to chapter 4, verse 2. In that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth will be pride, will be the pride and adornment of the survivors of Israel. So here we have, in that day. So, this day of judgment is also the day of ushering in this new and better age. It's all that day. Where you have judgment and restoration all at once. Or at least all in the same season. So I think that's, that's interesting that, that you have these two things sitting side by side, all of it happening on that day. Now you might ask, well, when, when is that day? When, when is it talking about here? And, and anytime you talk about eschatology and the latter days and when this and that is going to happen, it's always a little bit speculative, right? Um, I think some evangelical people believe that uh, this is referring to uh, the, the latter days of the tribulation and then the ushering in of the millennium uh, as, as a time when, when things are, are put to right. So uh, that's at least one perspective, and, and it sounds reasonable to me, but uh, like all things, uh, subject to uh, uh, some good debate by, uh, by good Christian folks. Um, so let's look at some of these verses in detail. It says, In that day, this is verse 2, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious. So, some people, um, when it says the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious and the fruit of the earth will be the pride and adornment, see this as um, kind of a literal uh, uh, word that that this is referring to agricultural um, bounty, kind of like um, uh, the land flowing with milk and honey, kind of that sort of a language. 
um, of this new day. And certainly uh, that meaning is probably there. But as some of you may have seen in your text, this branch of the Lord is actually a phrase for the Messiah. This is a phrase for the Messiah. Uh, in fact, in, uh, back in Jesus' day, the Bible was in Hebrew, but the Hebrew language was not the main language that was spoken. It was Aramaic, which was descended from the Assyrian language that they would have picked up you know, six or eight hundred years before in the time of the exiles. That was the main language. So when the rabbi would read the scripture in Hebrew, but then would kind of explain it and, and exposit the text in Aramaic. And the Aramaic translation of this particular verse was Messiah. So even back in Jesus' day, it was thought that this was this branch of the Lord phrasing was referring to the Messiah. You know, I think it's always so cool the way this works out. Daddy and I had been talking about, okay, well, it's the Sunday before Christmas. Should we jump ahead a little bit and look at some of the very well-known texts about the Messiah? And I thought about it. I said, well, you know, let's just, let's just stick to the thing. Let's stick to our outline and just go with it. And then as I started to read this and start to understand it as, as it was uh, taught to me by the, the readings I did, here we have a very Christmas text that I'd never seen before. The branch of the Lord. Um, it starts to be even cooler as we walk through this. It says, The branch of the Lord will be, beauty, will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth will be the pride and the adornment of the survivors of Israel. So this fruit of the earth, um, again, if we go with this, this view that branch of the Lord is, is the Messiah coming from the Lord, well, now we have the opposite of this, that this branch of the Lord is also fruit of the earth. So we, here we have Messiah, not just God, but also man of the earth. Uh, when God made man, it was two ingredients, right? Do you know what the two ingredients God used to make man? Dust and breath. Right? Dust and breath. It's from the dust of the earth. So here we have the fruit of the earth. You know, what greater fruit of the earth than God-man, the Jesus, our, our God-man, uh, of the Lord, but also of the earth. So here we have, you know, the Messiah, both divine and man, which is exactly what we celebrate at Christmas. Um, so this is, I think, such a great um, Christmas text, if you would. We also see other references to uh to uh, Jesus um, being the, the vine and the source of the fruit. Those sorts of terms we see in the New Testament. Um, just to enlarge on this branch of the Lord thing, to make it more clear, turn over uh, to the right a bit to Jeremiah chapter 23. Of course, we know that Jeremiah and Isaiah were contemporaries. 
And in a minute, I'm going to go over to Jeremiah 33 as well. So in Jeremiah 23, verse 5, it says, Behold, the days are coming when I shall raise up for David a righteous what? A righteous branch. And he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and so forth. A righteous branch. And then over to chapter 33. Verse 15. I guess I'll pick up with 14. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good word which I have spoken concerning the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch of David to spring forth, and he shall execute justice and righteousness on the earth. Um, So this branch of the Lord, um, I think it's more than just speculation. I think we can truly see that this is a messianic text. Let's jump down a little bit. Um, the latter part of verse 2, back on Isaiah 4. It says, In that day the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth will be the pride and adornment of the survivors of Israel. And it will come about that he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. And everyone who is recorded for life in Jerusalem. So here we have this reference to um, a portion of the nation. A remnant, as some people call it, that comes through all this judgment and are saved and participate in this new world, this new age, when things are made aright. And it says they will be called holy. They will be called holy. Uh, and, and why does it say that they are preserved and that there will be some left? Because their names are recorded in the book of life. So, in our time here, we've talked about um, God's hand in redemption and the way that God reaches out for us before time even um, to elect us, to predestine us for, for his kingdom. And here we have some evidence of even that in this chapter. That there's going to be some people that come through this really bad time because their names have been recorded in the book of life. Um, I guess um, the other thing I want to point out, back in verse 2, it says, In that day the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious. This is Jesus. And it says, he will be the pride and adornment of the survivors of Israel. 
What a contrast this is. What was the pride and adornment in the bad days, in the evil age? It's all the external stuff, right? The robes and the rings and the ankle chains and the perfume and all of this. Um, that was the pride and the adornment then. And now the pride and the adornment is going to be Jesus. That's what they're going to brag about. You know, I think that's pretty good, right? I mean, if you want to really brag about something, brag about what Jesus has done, right? What has Jesus done for you? Um, what's the evidence of, of his work in your life? That's worth bragging about. What a rich verse this is, right? Yeah, about Jesus and who he is. And, and in this new day, those that survive all this horrible tribulation, they're just going to brag about Jesus. They're just going to worship Jesus. Um, they're going to embrace him. They're going to recognize him for who he is. This is what they're going to be proud about. Um, I think it's I think it's just great. You said that was after tribulation. According to according to uh, you know some folks. So that would be the thousand year reign. Right. Okay. Right. All right. Let's pick up um, in verse four. When the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the bloodshed of Jerusalem from her midst by the spirit of judgment and the spirit of burning. Then the Lord will create over the whole area of Mount Zion and over her assemblies a cloud by day and smoke and the brightness of a flaming fire by night, for over all the glory will be a canopy. There will be a shelter to give shade from the heat by day and refuge and protection from the storm and the rain. How does Genesis start? In the beginning, what? In the beginning, God, what? In the beginning, there was God and He created. What do we have here? In verse 5. When he's wiped the slate clean and ready for a new start, we have God saying, all right, I'm back on it. I'm going to create this new, this new world. Um, his creative hand is going to start things all over again. What's going to be created? These are familiar symbols, right? Pillar of cloud, pillar of fire. We saw that. When? When did we first hear about that kind of language? In Exodus. The wandering in the wilderness, right? And so much symbolism there represented God's protection, God's glory, uh, there was security there, but mostly it was God's presence that was symbolized there. 
Um, so here we have the first thing, or at least one of the first things that happens as a result of his new creation is him saying, I'm going to be in the middle of you guys. Once again, I'm going to be in the middle. Right there, you'll see, my, you'll see evidence there of my glory and all the other things that go with that. And then finally, you see that there's going to be accommodation for us, right? There's going to be shelter. We've already seen reference to the bounty of the land. And there's going to be protection, it says, from the storm and the rain. God's going to set things right. There's a whole lot of judgment. There's a whole lot of stuff that to be set right. And then God's going to set things right. And here we have a picture of, of who's going to be involved with that, this branch of the Lord, front and center of this, uh, our Messiah. Um, a couple things just to comment on. Uh, I alluded to it earlier, but sure we see evidence of uh, God's hand, God's blessing, when there is bounty in the land, right? Uh, the promised land was known for its agricultural bounty. Um, there were seven years of blessing and cursing with, uh, in the days of Joseph with the famine. Um, one of the things that, that got uh, Naomi's husband and son off track was there was some famine in the land, and it was God's judgment. Escaped that and went to this even worse. Things went crazy. Finding Ruth there. Um, God's blessing, God's um, and even in those days, those weren't perfect times, right? Even when God was blessing and the famine was over and Boaz's fields were ripe and there was harvest and you know Ruth was there getting the leftovers. I mean, that wasn't a perfect time, but yet God was blessing again. Uh, these certainly are not perfect times. Uh, there is darkness in our world, in our country, even in our town. But we are blessed, right? God is blessing us. We live in a bountiful land. Um, and so we should be grateful for that, even though um, we have huge problems. And um, you could argue that, that uh, things may not stay this way, but uh, we have so much to be thankful for. Um, in the just in the place where we are. All right, I said that there was going to be a couple things I was going to challenge myself to do um, on each of the lessons. Remember what they were? One was, what does this passage tell me about man, and what does this passage tell me about God? All right. So, has anybody thought about this? What do we learn about man from this passage? What? He needs God. Man needs God. That's all. great. What else? We like we like our stuff, right? We like our bling. 
Um, I wonder how many of the current ads on TV fit into one of these categories. Um, you know, again, it's not a bad thing. It cracks me up how many of these things are so... I mean, is there anything that doesn't exist today? I don't know what an amulet is, but I think almost everything else we've got, right? Right down to the underwear. I don't know, turbans, maybe not so much. Veils, maybe not so much. But everything else, we've pretty much got. What else? What do we learn about man? We take pride in the wrong things. Excellent. We're still dirty, rotten sinners, right? There is so, you know, there are just so, I mean. I noticed you see we've got tattoos in here. Are tattoos on there? Yeah, the branding. Oh, branding. <laughs> branding. Now, I thought, I actually thought about that, but I, I actually thought about that in verse, um, in verse uh, 2, and it says the pride and the adornment of the survivors of Israel, I thought you know, maybe everybody would have Jesus tattooed on themselves. You know, because that's what they're going to be proud about. Uh, I don't know. Uh, of course, branding uh, is, you see this in the NFL, you know, true branding is with a hot iron, right? And you'll see that. It makes a horrific scar. Um, uh, yeah, that's weird, I think. But um, what else? We learn about man. Without Jesus, we're Without Jesus, we're doomed. Yeah, we don't. You know, in chapters three and four, I mean, uh, chapters two and three, it's not like we we figure it out and we fix it ourselves, right? That's not. That's never the way this story turns out. We always just, you know, ride this horse straight off the cliff. You know, we never. Self-correct, as I mentioned in the, the first week. Yeah, I think, I think all those are right. I think um, uh, we're always preoccupied with the externals as opposed to the internals. Um, certainly true. Um, I mentioned the, the point about structure. I mean, we all want our own way, right? Even if the rules say otherwise. Never really like it when everyone gets their own way. Right? Because then there's no structure. We want structure, but we want to be the exception. Of course, everybody feels that way. So the ultimate outplay of all that is chaos. And, and then what happens through history, right? As soon as there's chaos, somebody up creates order, and even a bad order is preferable to chaos. Uh, it all amounts to man is Man is inherently vain. And uh, you don't have to read Proverbs very far to have that re-emphasized, do you? Or Ecclesiastes as well. All right, so what do we learn about God from this passage? What do we learn about God from this passage? A good thing's coming. His day is coming, yes. Excellent. 
always a way out. He must be very patient, uh, Art, because throughout the Old Testament, especially, people constantly go as far as obeying obedience. God's very patient. Um, why was this word given to Isaiah? It wasn't just so that we could read about it several thousand years later, was it? It was a word for that day, too. You guys, you know, this, things are going to get bad. You know, it was a message for that day as well. I think one of the th- things is just shows that God has had redemption on his mind for a very, very, very long time. Of course, honestly, in eternity past, God has had his mind on redemption, but certainly early evidence here that there's a plan. There's a plan to bring us through that, and it was going to be through the branch of the Lord. It's going to be through Jesus, the Messiah. It says that there's going to be... He's, he's always had this concept of the chosen people, right? There was nothing about Abram that made him worthy of being chosen by God to lead this nation of Israel that would become the nation of Israel. He was a pagan in a pagan land like everybody else, but God picked him and said, you're going to be my chosen people. There are people who come through this, and they come through it, this remnant, because God God has picked them, God has selected them, and their names are in the book. I think the coolest thing, just to close is that throughout history, God always wants to be with us. In the garden, before things went crazy, they would just walk together and hang out together and fellowship. God wants to be with us. Here we have evidence of his presence right there. This is Christmas season, right? We celebrate Jesus Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. Throughout history, God has wanted to be with us. And, you know, as we celebrate the God of Isaiah and the God of the garden and the God of the first century the God of Mary and Joseph, same God. And the same path to redemption, the same way to his family through Jesus, who was branch of the Lord and fruit of the earth. The coolest, coolest thing. There's one idea, I'm not sure I heard you about it. I'm taking a little issue with it. You would mention how person on the inside and if they 
do away with all those exteriors, they would be just as beautiful on the outside. I'm not sure we would look as good on the outside. Um, all right, I'm not exa exactly sure what I said. Um, I might have to replay the tape on that. But uh, I guess the, the point I was trying to make is that when things go bad at the end of days and, and the outside doesn't look very good, now you don't see the difference between the outside and the inside. The inside has always been bad, and now the outside looks bad too. I'm not sure if it works or not. Our final comments. All right, let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you that throughout time you have wanted to be with us. We thank you for Jesus, our Emmanuel. In his name, amen.